Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Fixing Factions. I'm Sam Blackburn. Today with me on the podcast, we have Alex Sang and Everett Watterson. How's it going, guys? Going good. Last week, we were faced with sad news as Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away on Friday night. This ended a long career with the Supreme Court. Uh, And while she was certainly left of center, we can all agree that she left a large mark on the quest for gender equality. Unfortunately, the opening of her seat will likely set off some grueling weeks as Democrats hope to delay replacing her until after the election. This fight for her replacement is mostly what we're going to be talking about this week, guys. Sounds good. On September 22nd, uh, Politico broke an article um, saying that Mitt Romney had officially backed the uh, nomination of a new Supreme Court nominee, uh, meaning that Trump and McConnell officially have enough votes that they could force a nominee through. So um, first, I just kind of wanted to know, like, what are your guys' personal opinions on nominating somebody this close to the election? I'm going to be honest with you, both now and in 2016, uh, I think it's I think it's okay to be uh, nominating someone this close to the election. I, I would say, though, that, you know, it, within uh, the, this 2020, you know, Supreme Court nomination, it's definitely a, a double standard they're setting here. Um, so although I, I, I think that, you know, nominating someone this close to the election is fine, um, Republicans either should have let them do it in uh, 2016 and... Um, or they shouldn't be doing it now. And, and frankly, uh, I'm glad that some Republicans are standing up to Mitch McConnell and um, you know pointing out that it is a double standard because uh, I think Mitch McConnell's arguments are are rather flimsy. Um, but yeah, that's my personal opinion. It, it is you know what it's okay, but it's definitely a double standard. So uh, in, in that regards, I think the Republican Party should allow the Democrats to go ahead and uh, or excuse me the uh, Republicans should not nominate a um, justice in the interest of keeping keeping it consistent with the 2016 election. And Everett, I know you're a little more conservative, so I've kind of been wondering what you thought on the issue. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I yeah, I'd have to agree with Alex um, to some extent. I, I think uh, there's nothing in the Constitution that uh, prohibits. A president from nominating a Supreme Court justice uh, close to an election or in, in an election year. Um, however, uh, it does seem uh, like a bit of a double standard uh, that uh, Senate Republicans have set. Um, at the same time, however, I think um, the Republican argument uh, does have some merit uh, because in 2016, uh, there was a bit of a conflicting mandate uh, in, in government because in 2012, uh, Americans elected Obama. However, two years later, uh, the majority of Americans sent it, Republican majorities to both houses of Congress. So there's a bit of a conflicting mandate, whereas um, this year, um, both the Senate and the presidency are Republican. So I think there's some merit to Republicans' uh, argument in, in that right. Um, I, I did find it really frustrating this week, just kind of going into things, um, that Mitch McConnell seemed so willing to sort of go back on, on promises he seemed to have made in 2016. There's definitely a lot of, uh, politicking going on for sure. Really what I wanted to talk about today was sort of the political impacts of this choice for several different groups of senators. 
those uh, four groups were Senator uh, Lisa Murkowski, um, Senator uh, Suzanne Collins, um, and then Senators Gardner and Graham, who are both running in some semi-competitive elections uh, this November. Um, and then the fourth group was just kind of other Republicans. Um, so I think we're good to just go ahead and start with Lisa Murkowski. So uh, Lisa Murkowski, um, according to Alaska Public, um, which is obviously the state that she was elected in, um, has kind of, it mostly sounds like she is willing to hold off on a vote on the new nominee until after um, the new Congress has been put into place. I, first of all, I think that's the the right thing to do. Um, but I thought it was interesting that she was the one senator who's kind of been willing to do it. What do you guys think on that? I think it is uh, interesting, Sam, especially since uh, the majority of Senate Republicans were pretty quick to jump on to the uh, no nominating in an election year uh, argument in 2016. So I think it's definitely very interesting that uh, only a few are uh, sort of sticking to that uh, reasoning. Um, another senator that isn't exactly running in a competitive election, but has often sort of gone against the grain of the Republican Party is um, Senator Mitt Romney of Utah. Um, obviously, he was the lone GOP senator to uh, vote for impeachment. Uh, one argument that the Republic that the Republican Party seems to be making right now is that for a long time, the Democratic Party has been the one that's sort of been been breaking promises um, or been changing rules to benefit them when it comes to the courts. Um, um, you can talk about them going after uh justice or going after judge bork in the uh, 1980s um or changing rules to allow for uh filibusters to not work on uh lower court judges you know what do you guys think about it i think it does i think it holds merit um i definitely think that there is an argument to be made that democrats uh have in in many ways you know dictated uh this or that to go their way. And, and, and I mean, I think that's really just the nature of a two party system. And I think really what that debate comes down to is, is uh, the functionality of a two party system. And, you know, how do you meet, uh, how do you bring two, you know, divided parties together? But I definitely, I don't think that holds merit in this idea that if, you know, if you do it, I'm going to do it at a bigger scale. I definitely think those things don't compare in scale to the kind of blatant hypocrisy that um, this action is. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's a four-year difference, right, between 2016 and now. And so it's definitely a blatant uh, hypocrisy that uh, in which they're changing the rules to, to you know, benefit themselves. And I think that argument does hold merit. But I, I really don't. I don't think it's it's good for the nation, and, and I don't really think it, it's a solid argument that will sway moderate opinion. And and I don't really think it's an opinion that uh, holds holds merit. But I don't think it it, it justifies their actions. 
I'd I'd have to agree with Alex. I think uh, sort of like a tit for tat um, relationship between the two parties doesn't benefit anyone. It it, uh, it just sort of expands the current divisions that we see right now. Uh, it's sort of like they did it first, and that argument I don't think is particularly convincing uh, in like any uh, situation. So I'd, I'd have to agree with Alex on this one. Yeah, I am. Um, I felt kind of similarly. I, I really strongly dislike this argument because it's so, like you were saying, ever tit for tat or kind of eye for an eye, um, and it's like, you know, there's just kind of raising the stakes and doing things just slightly worse than the other party, like doesn't make the country any better and at some point i start to feel like we're forgetting that we're kind of like that we're one country we're trying to improve this team together um and rather it starts to feel like we're kind of uh, kind of sparring and and just yeah i think it's going i think it's key to add here that the other the, side uh that the implications of what they're doing this year are definitely worse than the stuff that they point to previously so it's definitely not even uh, I mean, it, it is eye for eye, but it's definitely that kind of thing where it's like, hey, they did this in the past and we're going to do this. And it, and it definitely pushes the bar of what's acceptable a little bit. It's definitely a little bit worse than uh, what uh, Democrats and liberals have done in the past. And, and it definitely pushes that uh, bar of, of what's you know acceptable in, in, in bending the rules um, a little bit further, which is just really unhealthy culture, I think. Well, while I agree, it's like not, it's not great politics and not great optics. I don't think Republicans are necessarily breaking any rules here. Like there's no um, constitutional barrier to what they're, they're trying to do right now. And there's no precedent um, other than the 2016 time um, that would contradict that. The only uh, thing here is like sort of the hypocrisy of the Republicans argument while it's um, and, you know, like pretty uh, bald faced politicking, um, I, th I don't think like it, it's wrong, but not certainly not illegal or out of the question. Yeah. And so it might set a bad uh, precedent for just like hypocrisy and doing what what's like convenient for short term, short term political gain. But I'm not sure it sets like a, a poor legal precedent. I think in 2016, Senate Republicans were wrong to sort of just completely block that process. I think um, they should have engaged in it. And then if they didn't find the, um, the nominee, Merrick Garland, to be like sufficient, uh, then they should have voted him down uh, that way. But I, I, I guess I, I'd agree that there was... It wasn't wrong for Obama to nominate uh, Merrick Garland in an election year. Yeah, I uh, I would certainly agree with that. Um, I I mean I found that especially infuriating just because Merrick Garland was uh, by all accounts a pretty moderate judge. Um, his voting record was very similar to that of Brett Kavanaugh's, um, except with um, sort of opposite views on on abortion on Roe v. Wade, which is kind of a large reason that um, that the court is so important to people on both sides of the aisle, quite frankly. Um, but I do just think it's frustrating that like this time around, 
uh, like as with Kavanaugh, I don't know that it necessarily like the judge does not necessarily have to be a great judge for them to get put on the court because I think the Republicans are likely to just kind of nominate nominate anyone in the Senate. I mean, the hope is that um, you know Collins and Romney are are really truly um, going to be looking at Supreme Courts and the idea of you know fast tracking a Supreme Court justice uh, nominee. Um, is not what they're looking for. So in the idea of that, you know, hopefully you've got three people there who can block the fast forward vote on uh, on a nominee who's probably not great. Um, so do you think that's going to happen? Do you, I mean, do you think that there that there is that safeguard with Romney and Collins? I honestly don't know that there is. And the reason I say that is I'm like... I'm a little bit nervous to some extent that, or, or I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, if Collins and Romney and Murkowski shoot somebody down who obviously is not the right pick for the court, I don't know that there will be enough time to get somebody else like put on the court before election day. And I think that the Republicans would be walking into some like really morally shady ground if they lost an election and then they still decided to put somebody on the court. Yeah, I'd agree, Sam. Um, I, don't, I don't think there will be um, barriers for those uh, Senate Republicans, uh, Romney and Collins, I, because um, I think the ends sort of justify the means for a lot of these. Um, a lot of Republicans in the Senate, uh, because just because having like a supermajority of conservative justices on the high court has been like a conservative priority for uh, many years. So I, I think that they're going to try to get get a nominee through uh, however they can. I guess I think another question is, is, you know, how do you think Trump nominating plays into this? I, I think Trump as we know, is is definitely um, probably not our most uh, politically experienced person. Obviously, he had not been in office before being president. So um, how do you think Trump is going to do with a, a quick nomination? And do you think it's, I personally, I think it's scary that uh, Trump could have a, a quick nomination that Republicans rush through. Um, do you think that's a possibility? I don't know that that necessarily is the issue for me just because um like we've we've seen some sort of like finalists for the nomination even even before the spot opened up on the court um and I, i think that there are a lot of republican strategists who have spent a lot of time thinking about exactly who they would put on the court and i don't know that Trump is really going to be making the decision. Yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Sam. Um, and I think um, the the sort of short list of justices that have, have been put forward in the past couple of days um, is pretty good. If like for conservatives, I think a lot of conservatives uh, can get behind those those picks for uh, justices. So I, I don't really think there, there'll be a problem there. 
Yeah, that that seems reasonable. Um, are we good to? I mean, I guess we kind of actually covered our um, Colin or Murkowski, and then as well as well as our other Republicans. Um, so I wanted to talk about Susan Collins just briefly. So the Hill uh, on September 22nd announced that Senator Susan Collins, a uh, Republican from Maine, will vote no against Trump's Supreme Court nominee. Um, obviously, she's facing a pretty tough re-election bid, um, and people are wondering if that's factoring into her decision on the vote or if she's just voting her conscience. Um, I was kind of wondering what you guys thought about that. Um, for me, it seems like uh, there's not really uh, she's she's lagging pretty pretty far behind uh, her opponent. And so I don't really think there's any like political game for her um, to be waiting um, to nominate a, a Supreme Court justice, because right now it looks like she'll be voted out, you know, and won't won't be able to uh, have the opportunity to vote for a justice. So I think uh, that would sort of suggest that she's making this vote as sort of it's sort of a moral uh, vote for her rather than like political. Just looking back at the fact that in 2016, she uh, didn't want to block the nomination that she was willing to go against the grain of the Republican party. I, I definitely think that it shows that this is actually an issue for her, for her morally, um, not as not so much as an election uh, factor, but instead is just something that she uh, politically morally wants to do. Um, so definitely looking at her history, I would say, um, it's, it's something moral, and especially when that's tacked onto the fact that she's losing the election. I think it, it's a pretty strong argument that this this is just her choice. This is it's it's not a political choice. It's uh it's just her choice. Yeah, I would certainly tend to agree with your guys' opinion, and um, I don't know. It, it makes me happy that she's willing to to just do what she think is do what she thinks is right. The next group, or sort of the last group that I wanted to talk about, was sort of this group of Republican senators who are running in sort of tight races uh, on a scale of tight races to losing races um, who have still announced that they are voting for the nominee that Trump puts forward. So the first of those senators that I wanted to talk about was Colorado Senator Cory Gardner. Um, so 538 Politics um, had a poll from yesterday that showed him down seven points against his competition, John Hickenlooper, in Colorado. Um, so it, things are looking pretty likely that he'll lose the election. Um, Trump is also um, looking like he'll lose the election in Colorado. So I was kind of wondering sort of what the motivations would be for Gardner to vote for the next justice. Do you just think that he wants to see another uh, conservative justice on the court. Do you think that not voting for the justice would tick off like the Republican support that he does have in Colorado? Like, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think his, his motivation here is just to, to get another uh, conservative justice onto uh, the Supreme court and sort of cement that conservative majority for the next, um, couple decades here. Um, I think that 
in terms of like how it will impact him politically in this, in his reelection bid. Um, I think that if he didn't vote for um, a like Trump's nominee, it would really harm his uh, his image among uh, Republicans, like his Republican sort of base of support. Uh, I think that would erode it. And then for uh, I don't think he would gain anything politically by not voting uh, for Trump's nominee because. Because uh, those who are uh, voting, like already decided to vote Democrat, I don't think him simply not voting for the um, the nominee would like flip their votes and cause them to support him in any significant numbers. And then I don't think for independence, it's enough of a big issue, like a big enough issue to actually impact the way they're going to vote. I think they're probably going to vote on um, other issues that like actually affect their like everyday life. Obviously, Gardner's been a, a senator that's been pretty quick to support Donald Trump um, and is facing re-election in a state that's rapidly turning more democratic um, or rapidly turning more liberal. But and, and he's not going to make up, you know, whatever the, the seven points just by voting for or voting against Trump's nominee. Um but I do wonder if it would buy him some sort of positive press or positive attention here, here in Colorado. You know, looking at the poll numbers, obviously Colorado's uh, purple state, you know, waning on blue. You've got Democrats pretty much sweeping Colorado. Um, Trump is down 10 points in the uh, general presidential election. And um, I think it's fair to say that at this point, Gardner is not looking for something, I mean, realistically, he's probably not going to win this election. I definitely do think that voting for the Trump's nominee is going to help him. So I, I got to disagree with you a little bit here, Sam, because, but the fact that he actually supports Trump, he actively backs him is, is definitely a major turnoff to pretty much, you know, really anybody at all. Um, on the left is is pretty much done with Gardner at this point, just just because of his support for Trump. And so I think that um, if for him to nominate, for him to reject Trump's nomination, um, would do literally nothing but um, you know hurt his base, hurt his Republican supporters. And at this point, I don't think it could he, he could really gain anything back from it because you know. He's already lost, like like Everett said, you know, he's already lost all those independents, all those moderate Democrats. He's already lost them. I, I don't think they're coming back. So I think at this point, he's just got to stick it out on the far right. And uh, voting for Trump's nomination is, is going to help him in his, in, in, in his, in the long run politically, because quite simply, you know, he might as well stick there on the far right and, and, and take his chances as a lead in the Republican Party. Colorado. Yeah, so I'd agree with that, Alex. And I think um, I think at this point, there's, like you said, there's really no political gain for voting against that nominee. So I think uh, if I were in his position, I would uh, I would be trying to leave my mark uh, pretty much before I get voted out. <laughs> um, 
you know, by voting for this nominee and sort of cementing a uh, conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Yeah, and I, I think it's key to note, I mean, he's obviously not done with his political, you know, he's definitely looking to continue a, a strong and build his political career. So um, to stick on the far right with a with a continually um continually polarizing right uh, wing movement i think i think that it's important for him to stay in that movement if he wants to stay relevant in, in a career that presumably he's going to try and grow do you guys think that like a senator like gardner could get voted out of office um and then still have a chance at like at higher office i think um by in his like support of like his sort of complete support of Trump that he's, he's shown um, during his time in office in the past four years. I think uh, Cory Gardner has sort of uh, alienated the uh, sort of more centrist and also uh, more liberal voting blocks in Colorado. And I think Colorado is more of a centrist state generally. So I think, um, I don't think, I, I don't see Cory Gardner doing well in Colorado, at least in the near future. I think that the only way a Republican could win um, in Colorado is sort of in the next couple of years here um, would be if he or she uh, would would take a more centrist stance um, to be able to try to win back, you know, centrist voters, sort of swing voters in Colorado. So I don't really see Cory Gardner uh, going super and far has in the near future. Yeah, you say, Trump has definitely been a contributing factor. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's as as the poll numbers show. He's deeply unpopular with people in Colorado, and I think the interesting thing about Trump is he turns off a lot of people, um, even on the right. You know, I know a lot of people. Um, who are more uh, conservative minded, who like just cannot support Trump because of his, you know, moral character, um, like his poor, how, how he's taken the Republican party farther to the right. I think he's, he's turned off a lot of centrist um, conservatives. Um, and I think that's, you know, damaging to, um, Republicans like Cory Gardner who are running in more centrist or more liberal states. Okay, so the next senator that I wanted to talk about was Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Um, Mr. Graham is running for re-election this year, and 538 Politics currently has him up by one point against his Democratic contender, Jamie Harrison. Uh, Harrison seems to be a relative moderate, um, who is doing surprisingly well in a state that Trump is currently polling um, up six in. Um, so while they are polling relatively similarly, um, 538 Politics gives uh, Harrison about 15% chance of actually taking the seat, but it is still a relatively credible threat to um, to Lindsey Graham. So. The reason that Lindsey Graham especially has been getting a lot of attention is because in 2016, he said, he said, I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in 
the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, who it, whoever it might be, make that nomination. Lindsey Graham, like, outlined exactly the situation that we are currently in, um, and then sort of went back on that promise. So I was just kind of wondering, how do you guys affect him in South Carolina? Uh, Graham definitely shot himself in the foot, you know, saying something so blatant, obviously, you know, you can go against your word in politics and get away with it, but something that uh, that blatantly hypocritical is definitely shooting himself in the foot. I, I would say here, though, that Graham, um, Graham definitely needs to support Trump's nomination, is what I'm going to say. Um, although, again, I, I wish he wouldn't. Um, and although it, it's really hypocritical uh, politically, it's, it's, it's really, it's political suicide to not, um, to not support Trump's nomination. And, and I think this is I think this is for a couple reasons. I think, first of all, the people that uh, uh, Lindsey Graham is going to be getting are is is like you said, uh, Trump is up six points in, in South Carolina. So, um, by supporting Trump, you know he in that state is probably going to get a boost. Um, I also think that moderates have already been taken by a guy like. Harrison, um, you know, I'll be honest, obviously, I don't know a lot about South Carolina, but, um, you know, reading a few articles, it, it definitely seems like Harrison is definitely attracting moderates, which, which is giving him this kind of close race in the first place. But um, Harrison has already sucked up a lot of those independents, a lot of those moderates. And so I don't really think that Lindsey Graham is going to lose anybody. I, I think that he's got a pretty cool a pretty radical base to work off of in south carolina i think that a lot of people in south carolina are definitely on the right wing so i, I don't think he has honestly i don't think he has uh, a much to lose from a, a um supporting trump's nomination uh, nominee but i definitely think that in rejecting that nominee he might turn off some um trump supporters or some you know right wing people to the point where they don't vote, and I definitely think that shoots himself in the foot. So even if it's super hypocritical, even if, hey, maybe a couple moderates here or there, he loses, I definitely think um, it's politically a very smart decision for him to support the nominee. You know, if, if you've got Trump's voters, then you're winning that, right? And so by supporting that nominee, you're getting Trump's voters. And also, it's also key to know that Trump's voters, you know, Trump's voting base has already been swayed by, you know, let's be honest, tons of false publication, tons of you know, false information, you know, Trump has gone is super hypocritical, is probably the king of lying and just falsities. So, you know, Trump's supporters are probably not going to be that turned off by this hypocritical situation. And I think in, in a state in which he's winning by six points, it's it's pretty clear to see to me that, um, you know, Graham just has to, you know, just blindly thrown in towards the right wing um, because, you know, that's where he's going to win, and he's not going to lose that many independents because he doesn't have them in the first place. Yeah, it, yeah. it does frustrate me to agree with you, um, but I, I absolutely do, um, as sad as it makes me. Yeah, I think, I think there's um, not a lot of political risk uh, for Graham um, and potentially a, well, 
and and a very big uh, payoff for him, you know, a very big incentive for him to uh, support Trump's nominee because that, you know, cements a conservative majority on uh, the Supreme Court for some time. And like like Alex was saying, he really um, by in South Carolina by throwing in his sort of uh, by by supporting Trump that's actually probably going to help him because like Alex was saying, uh, Trump is up in that state. So I think it's very little political risk for a lot of gain. You know, another question on Lindsey top Graham's of that is, you know, this is actually the opposite of, of what we were talking about in Colorado where Cory Gardner is playing the long game. You know, supporting the nominee is definitely the short game for Lindsey Graham. How do you, what do you think that does, do you think that helps him or, or hurts him in the long game um, of, of his political career? I think that it it depends on sort of the direction that the Republican Party ends up taking. Um, I think that if the Republican Party sort of, if Trump loses this cycle, um, and then, like, I, I think there's a good chance that the Republican Party sort of chooses to walk away from that sort of populist brand of conservatism. Um, and I think if that happens, then sort of the the Trump the Trump alkalites, the Trump cronies, whatever you want to call them, um, are sort of set up for failure. But if sort of Trump has a lasting impact on the Republican Party, then Graham has set himself up nicely, like potentially even for a presidential run, just because he's such a, an influential figure yeah. in the party right now. How do you see? How do you see a movement back? I mean, let's be honest. Trump has cultured the Republican Party that is incredibly, for how radical he is, they're all Trump alkalites. You know, everybody is, is you know, in the Republican Party, it seems to be like, get on the Trump bus or get out of the party, pretty much. I mean, you know, how do you see a movement back looking? Well, Yeah, I mean, I, I I disagree with the statement that, you know, like all Republicans are supporting Trump. Like there is a like the vast majority of Republicans do support Trump. But I think Trump has um, sort of sacrificed um, more like Republicans who are more moderate conservatives um, and more centrist conservatives. Um in exchange for energizing his base and, you know, creating an extremely strong uh, base of support on the right. Um, so I think, um, I think it all depends on, so one, if Trump loses this next election and um, Republicans see that, you know, maybe this model of, um, for our party is like not successful. Um, and then to who the next um, Republican candidate is in 2024. Um, I think that will really um, be the, the determining factor in where the Republican party goes from here. I think um, if someone, you know, who is sort of a uh, in the Trump camp is elected, I think, you know, the Republican Party will, um, will, you know, continue in sort of Trump's uh, footsteps. But I, I think if it's somebody, 
and who can appeal to mod- both moderate Republicans and the uh, right wing of the Republican Party. I think um, that's when you can sort of have the uh, Trump's legacy like walked back. So, you know, I, I, I personally hope that happens because I think um, I think uh, Trump's band brand of like Republicanism and conservatism uh, leaves a lot of conservatives, um, in, including myself, uh, sort of behind, you know, where uh, conservatives can't really like moderate conservatives can't really um, in good conscience, like support him. And the, but, you know, they don't want to support the Democratic Party. So it really leaves them with no yeah. good option in the two party system. So. So, yeah, that's how I see. Um, yeah, well, I guess, of the I, I, I guess then my question, without getting too much into Trump, my question to Sam is when he says, you know, Trump alkalites or as in meaning political figures, as in senators, as in and as in um, House members, I guess what I would. I guess what I'm wondering, Sam, is, you know, when you say that Trump alkalite. I think that even if the Republican Party were to move away from this, you know, right, you know, really radical right kind of phase um, and move back to a more moderate um, sort of stance in conservatism, I guess what I wonder is, you know, all of these Republicans, all these Republican senators, all these Republican House members, they're all voting for Trump. You know, they don't vote to remove him. They are presumably all, you know, 50 of them are going to vote to support his nomination no matter what. All of these people have essentially declared themselves, they've essentially gotten on the Trump bus. Um, they, they've essentially declared the support for Trump, who's super radical, definitely probably not the embodiment of, of, of a Republican Party in the past. And, and if they move back, then not an embodiment of the Republican Party in the future. So when you say someone like Lindsey Graham, in the long run, you know, it depends on how the Republican Party moves. I think that applies to a lot of senators. How do you see that going down with, you know, the majority of big senators supporting Trump? I mean, I I definitely do think that to some extent there's a future for moderates in the party and I think that while most or pretty much all Republican politicians have been supportive of Trump I think there are some that have really thrown their kind of their lot in with him and I think there are there's a separate group who you know supports him now but would be fine to see him go if that makes sense um so i I mean i think a state where this is actually really shown through is utah um i guess i know a little bit more about them because they're because they're our neighbor um and i've spent you know a fair amount of time there but um their governor race happened or is happening this cycle um and utah is an incredibly conservative state um that you know it goes it went to trump by like a, a huge margin like 15 or 20 points um you know you would expect for the governor or the the republican nominee for governor to be like a, a very much um sort of a trump alkalite somebody who um very loudly sort of announces their 
their allegiance to him. Um, but what ended up happening with the party was, or, or with the race was that there were three kind of more moderate, more qualified people in the race. Um, and then one guy who was really, really like devoted to Trump um, and, or three more moderate uh, nominees did better. Um, and I think that uh, that could be a potential sign that like, voters will come around and decide to vote for somebody who is more moderate. My my final question to you guys was so do you guys think that so obviously a lot of these Republican vote or Republican senators live in districts where um majorities of citizens um want a new Supreme Court justice to be put in place. So do you guys think that um senators or you know our politicians have a greater debt to sort of do what they believe is morally right or to the voters that they represent i think that's, um, and, that's and how a, do you think obviously that that's a hard question to answer in the debate. first place that's a <laughs> something political analysts have I know, I'm, debated I'm really for, uh, forever for years um obviously i think i think the hope is that um in electing someone uh, that person's beliefs, that person's morals, and what they're choosing, um, is is naturally going to go with um, the popular vote. What the people would want, um, I would say, as far as something like this, if it was made clear that you know the district, the state, that you know whatever that you are representing is in favor of 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 a clear one vote or another i think that representatives do have the obligation to vote in what their district or their state wants but ideally those two coincide those two are the same thing um ideally those those never contradict because those people voted you in the first place but uh in the end you are a representative it is your it is your job to do what your what your populace wants. Um, you know, if if it was me as a representative or a senator, um, I think I would have to vote according to my conscience. Um, you know what I I believe is morally correct. You know, and if if the electorate who um, who elected me uh, disliked that, then you know they could express that at the ballot box and vote me out. That that would be my personal opinion if I was in the shoes of a senator or a a representative. Although ideally, like Alex said, um, those those two agendas would. Uh, and I think a lot up. of times it's key to note that like it's sometimes not clear what your populace wants. So, in agreeing with Everett, I think that as a senator or as a as representative, in voting your conscience, you're hopefully voting what your populace wants because, you know, like you said, you know, they can vote you out. Um, so I guess I would roll back my answer to say only when it's clear that a district or a state wants something should you vote that because, you know, it's it's always hard to it's always hard to you, you know you don't take a vote for every little thing 
I um I'm gonna have to go with Everett on this one. I think um I it's a question that I've kind of been asking myself a lot the last few days. Um, just I I think it's an interesting issue. Um, and basically the justification that I came to, I I believe that you know in a situation especially like this one, um, with kind of a a decision as big as it is, you have to follow your own consciousness or your own conscience. Um, and I believe that because, or or I would argue that because I think that, like when it is your full time job to think about these issues, you are more likely to come to like a better answer, and your voters to some extent have to trust that you're going to, um, that you're gonna, uh, like do the right thing. Um, and so I think that if you kind of betray your conscience, your conscience, you betray your, you you betray kind of the responsibility that you're given. I, I don't know if that argument makes any sense to you guys, but yeah, uh, that makes sense to me. And I think that's the beauty of democracy is that if if you do follow your conscience and the voters don't agree with that, um, they can vote you out. You know, you're um, you're, you're beholden to, you know, like the, the will of your, uh, electorate. And I think, you know, that's a good thing so that if, if your personal views aren't reflecting those of your, uh, electorate, um, you know, they can replace you. And I, I think that's a, 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 like a key aspect of democracy and something really important. It seems like a nice little democratic speech to, to end on there. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the first episode of our new podcast, Fixing Factions. If you liked what you heard and feel like helping us out, feel free to leave a review on the iTunes store. We should be back in your feed next Wednesday. Thanks for listening.